0: Thank you. Good morning. It's it's really good to be with you. I've anticipated this day for quite some time, well, at least a few months, so it's finally good to see you. Well, I can see some of you, but I can't see all of you. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I bring you greetings from Redeemer Church in Bellevue, Washington. I've gotten several texts and calls from them this morning uh, praying with me, and letting me know that they're praying for us this morning. So you're being prayed for this morning as well as uh, they're praying for me. Mostly that I don't really mess the sermon up. Um, very thankful. Bridget and I had been praying and other people had been praying that one of the things we asked prayer for is if, if this was the church that God had for me to pastor that he would knit our hearts with the people of this church and um the first people we stayed with uh, that just really happened the crows thank you crows for hosting us this uh this weekend and then the dinner with the elders and their wives uh the same thing happened it was Bridget and I were just thank you lord for uh the kindness that you've shown us and in our hearts with these people uh and then the the time I've had with the uh the sort of leaders of the church the deacons and uh we met for lunch thank you uh joy and patrick for I'm, I hope I got your name right. I think I did. Uh, For hosting yesterday, it was a blast. It was fun just talking about sort of vision and all the things that, you know, we we think Jesus wants for this church, for his church. Uh, that was a blast. I had a blast with the college students last night. Thank you, Caleb and family, for hosting. It was that that was fun. We got to talk a, a lot of stuff. We talked about our favorite books and, and and college ministry and all of that. It was it was it was so fun. And I was just emotional this morning because it was just a gift from God. Like what a kindness to knit our our hearts together already like this. Um, also, Davey told me there's a trap door up <laughs> here somewhere. So if I disappear, it's because Davy didn't like something I said. <laughs> I told him, like, if I don't like a question, I might use it later on after, after the sermon, but can we just pray one more time? Lord God, you and you alone know what we need, and you alone have provided for what we need in your son, Jesus Christ, But in the gospel, we're both confronted with our biggest need, and we're also satisfied most deeply. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for uh, the book of Ephesians that shows us when we're in Christ, we're truly loved by God. Thank you that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you, O oh God, that you, you are on a mission to bring Gentiles and Jews, all peoples, from every nations, into one family, to bring you praise and glory and to display your manifold wisdom. Father, we know you do that in ordinary ways, like the simple preaching of your word, like the prayers of your saints, like the singing. God, we have been a display of what you're doing. There's, there's no other explanation of this except grace and mercy has brought us together in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for, God, not only the history of Christianity that we have been a part of, people from generation after generation have been put in Christ and we're brothers and sisters with them. We also thank you for the history of this particular church God, we thank you for the men that you've used and the women that you've used in this church to build it up into into more maturity, and we pray that we continue to grow. God, we thank you for Josh Howeth and Liz, and we pray that you would bless them, even as as he preaches this morning, that you would give him wisdom and clarity and, and, and confidence in the gospel, and that your church in Gresham would be built up. We thank you for Stephen Brucker, and we pray that you would use him mightily in Puyallup. Would your word go forth from from his clear mouth and, and build up your church there so that we might rejoice in other people coming to know you? And Lord Jesus, as you answer all of these prayers, please do not pass over us. Meet with us this morning, we ask you by your spirit would ingrain your word on our hearts and that would be changed and mature in Jesus Christ and we'd go forth very confident in the gospel that you have won us with. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have questions for you. Have you ever asked the big questions of life or do you remember when you did? When did you ask the, you know, the questions of why am I here? Where am I going? What's the purpose of life? Or is there any purpose of life? Is there any God? Is there any higher being? I remember exactly when I started to ask those kinds of questions. I was sitting in my grandparents' living room watching cartoons, I think, or Nickelodeon something, I don't know. And my mom came in the house, and she had the most grave look on her face, and she said, she told me in tears that your cousin Aaron had just died in a, in a four-wheeler accident. And I was eight or nine, ten, somewhere in there. And I, I just remember looking back on it. I remember that was kind of the time where I started to just question, like, why is there suffering in the world? Like, these bigger questions. Why, what is going on anyway? And I started to ask these questions, but I, came, I became a, a person who was a professional at just like pushing those questions out, right? They're too deep, they're too hard, uh, especially for an eight, nine-year-old. And so uh, push them out with sports and, and entertainment, and, but the Lord brought me around. He didn't let me stay ignorant forever. I had to ask those questions again when I got older. And by God's grace, I, I came to understand, by God's grace, that the answer to those questions those questions only make sense if God is who he says he is in the, his word. And if God is going to do something to make things right in the world. That's a major theme in the Bible. It's a major theme tracing throughout the Bible. In fact, you can, you can give the story of the Bible in four words. And, and the last word is, is referring to this theme. It's consummation. Consummation. God created all things, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. God's recreating everything. Well, in the book of Ephesians, it's also a major thing. God is making all things new, but there's a particular person he's making all things new through, and his name is Jesus Christ. So in the book of Ephesians, you see Paul in this letter tells us that in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption, but it's only in Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And, and beyond that, in Christ, we have a new people. We have a new family. We are, we are made God's people with a whole bunch of other people who are in Christ. We're being united together in a place called the church. And these peoples who previously hated each other, like Jews and Gentiles, the Greeks and Romans are now united into one family. Does any of this sound controversial to you? It doesn't to our ears. Our modern ears, this is like, yeah, yes, this is what the church is supposed to be. Uh, But in Paul's day, this was very controversial. Jewish people stuck together, right? Uh, The Greeks stuck together, you, you stick with your people, nationalism, racism, all of that was going on then too. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. In Christ, all of that is just, it's just leveled out and you're, you're brought into a new family. Jesus is your older brother and God is your father and the spirit is sealing this redemption, this inheritance right now. And one of the evidences <clears throat> that he's doing this is that the church, people who are different, Come together. So, those big questions are good questions, but they're based on an antecedent question to them, right? They're, they're, this is a question that comes before the I questions, right? How did I get here? Where am I going? Do I have any purpose in this world? Is based on some, a question that comes before that. And that question is what is God's eternal purpose for his people? We're presuming that God has a people. We're presuming that he has a purpose. And, and the answer to that question in Ephesians 1 through 3 is Paul says, yes, he does have a people and he has a purpose for them. God has an eternal purpose. And you, you heard Hannah read it in, in verses 10 and 11, so that in order that through the church, Well, read verse 11 first. This is God's eternal purpose, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be put on display. It might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is God's purpose. And the revelation of that mystery that the Jew and Gentile will now become one family, the revelation of that mystery is being revealed in the church. And this was according to God's eternal purpose. And it was realized in Jesus Christ. So if if you get one thing going away from here, here it is, this one sentence. God is glorifying himself by displaying his manifold wisdom through the church. God, the creator of all things, is glorifying himself by displaying his manifold wisdom through and in the church. And I want to explore... Uh, this wisdom, God's wisdom, it's, it's unsearchable, but there are things God has told us about this wisdom, and I, I want to explore that by asking five questions, okay, and show us how a better understanding of God's purpose will help the, the church live more faithfully together. So how do, how do we live more faithfully as a church? Let's explore God's wisdom and see if he has anything to say about that. So God is glorifying himself by displaying his manifold wisdom through the church. Why? a good question. Why is he doing this? First, he's doing it because history is his story. I, I know that's cheesy, but it's, a, it is a, it's true. Like, history is his story. It's the story of what he has been doing on the earth. It's all moving. Paul tells us in Ephesians, it's all moving towards unification in Christ. You want to know, you want to make sense of your own personal history it's all being unified in Christ. You can't see all the suffering, how it's going to make sense. You can't, see, uh, you can't see all the mysteries. You can't see everything that's going to happen, but you can be guaranteed of this, that in Christ it's all being unified, and he is making all things new. Maybe, maybe you're here as a skeptic or an atheist. It's possible, um, Maybe you're not part of this family, and you think all this family talk and God talk and talk of purpose is you're very you, you disagree with it and I understand and, and I disagree with you, but I understand if you if you believe that it's it is it is uh, one way to view the world. but let me ask you a question if you're a skeptic how, let me just ask. Do you have any purpose in your life? Do you have a longing for purpose in your life? Where do you think that comes from? And is it possible that that longing for purpose comes from someone outside of you? And that someone outside of you is the one who's given purpose to all things? C.S. Lewis talked about an inconsolable longing that we all have. If, if you have a longing inside of you that you can't explain, you have awe and wonder that you can't explain, you cry and you don't know why sometimes, there's an inconsolable longing in all of us that God has put there. And it doesn't make sense if we're just a random bunch of cells floating through the universe. It only makes sense if there's a God who loves you. Who gave you that purpose? It's history is His story. He's moving it to our unification in Christ. Why? Because, uh, secondly, because He entered into the story to complete it. God is not just transcendent over all things. He's not just moving things like a master chess player. He's 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 He actually entered into history. The concept's called the day of the Lord and, and God at certain points, he enters into people's history and, and, he, and, and he changes things. History is his story. He entered the story to complete it and he entered in in Jesus Christ and he changed the direction. You who were once dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says in Ephesians 2, are now made alive together. That only makes sense if God is the one who entered in to history, through Jesus Christ. Lastly, why is God doing this? It's because glorifying himself is good for the world. Also, if you have a longing for justice in the world, where does that come from? The longing for social justice in this world, do you know there's someone who who wants it more than you and who is going to bring final justice in the end and has brought justice, in some sense, in the cross? The innocent one paid the price for the guilty and satisfied God's wrath for you. This is justice. And God is bringing that justice as he's bringing people into the church and then as they're going out and bringing justice into the world. This is why God is doing it. God is glorifying himself by displaying his manifold wisdom because he, history is his story. He entered in to complete it, and glorifying himself is good for you. This is the why, right? So why is he doing it? But what about how? How, how does this happen? And this is where we're going to dig into the text. This is where we are spend the most time here, is how will God bring a display of his wisdom well, he tells us in, in the verses that Hannah read, and um, let's just read one through six one more time. How, how will he do this? He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by what? Revelation. It was made known by revelation. This is, the first, this is the first how. This is the first way God is doing it. He's doing it through revelation, and specifically through revelation to Paul. This is, if you read through the Bible, this is always how God has made himself known to people. He created them with this powerful word, Adam and Eve. Then how did he reveal himself to them? He revealed himself to them by walking in the garden and talking with them. How did he reveal himself to Abraham? By talking to him. How did he reveal himself to Moses? By, re- by revealing himself through speech, this, this bush that was burning but not consumed. The I am spoke to Moses. He, he just revealed himself in the same way he, he revealed himself to Paul, the apostle, this one who has been chosen to reveal the mystery of the gospel the Gentiles. And if you notice, if you read through Ephesians 1 through 4, you notice the theme of mystery coming up quite a bit. What is this mystery? And Paul's very explicit about what the mystery is, but it's not, the mystery wasn't something that's unknowable to people. It's not, you know, it's not, you have to da Vinci, get the Da Vinci Code and then you finally figure it out. No, it's not that. It's, it's, uh, it's only known to the initiate. It's only known to those who God reveals himself to. And Paul was made a steward of this mystery. It's just the word for household manager. It's someone who was given a task. It was given the management of a household. And, and, and here he is. He's, I'm just a steward of this, this mystery that I was given by revelation, and you, like, what's he supposed to do with that? But the stewardship of the mystery was, and, and this, is our, this is our third question, kind of un, under the how, but the, it's the who. Who is the mystery about? And verse 6 tells us this mystery is that the Gentiles, everyone else except the Jews, the Gentiles, are fellow heirs. Wow. Wow members of the same body, oh my goodness, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. How? Through the gospel. The gospel is so powerful. God is so wise that he can bring people who hated each other into a family that loves each other. Yes, they still fight, but they love each other. Yes, they have problems, but because of their union in Christ, we are one, and God does this through the gospel. That's the who, the, you know, this was very confusing, actually, even in the earlier part of Acts, you can see that there was some confusion about this, and Acts 15, there's a council called, and they say, you know, what do these people have to do in order to become Christians? Don't they have to get circumcised and keep the law? And the answer was, no, they don't. And Paul was ticked off at the Galatians, right? Like these Judaizers had come in and said, no, you do have to keep the law. And Peter was acting in such a way that it wasn't sure where he was at, right? And so Paul confronts him. And, 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 and the thing was is these Judaizers said, Jesus has done a work, but you must be circumcised and obey. And, and Paul says, absolutely not. That the only thing that anyone must do to enter the family has been done by Jesus Christ. If you want to be a part of the family, you don't have to do anything. Jesus has done it for you. Paul even tells us that he's the, he's the kind of God that even gives the, the grace and the faith to you to believe. Jesus has done it for you, and and this is who the mystery was about. So it was revealed by revelation about the Gentiles, but it was also, the display of this mystery was also given through preaching. That's why you can't quite call this a pulpit, but this is a pulpit. And the Word of God is on it. And where is it on the stage? You could talk. It's fine. It's in the center, okay? It's in the center because it is the most important thing. This is how God works in his church, by his spirit revealing his word to us and changing us. So preaching is primary in the church. You can see, you just look in verses 7 through 11, Paul tells us this that of this gospel, the one that unites a family of people who are different, this gospel, he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, has, which was given to me by the working of his power. And if you go back, every time he uses the power, he's talking about the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That kind of power gave me the ministry of this gospel to tell the Gentiles that they're in the family. You're in. Believe in Christ. Verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given for what purpose? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the word, uh, this is the verb form of the word evangel. It's to evangelize. Evangelize does not mean you convince somebody that they need to become a Christian. Evangelize is, is, is the word for proclaiming the good news. When I came up here, um, I, I did not cook this meal that we're having as a family. The meal is provided by Christ. I am a table server. I I bring it on a platter out of the kitchen and make sure you don't drop it and present it nicely for the family to eat. That is what you are supposed to do when you evangelize. You just give the gospel, brothers and sisters. You just proclaim the good news and let the Spirit do the work. That's what Paul is saying. That's what what we're supposed to be all about. That's what the church is supposed to be all about, preaching the gospel. How do we do that? We do that through opening our mouths and talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. God is displaying his wisdom in the church through revelation and preaching. And the content of that preaching is the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. The unfathomable riches of Christ are included in all of this, all of his truths and all of his blessings and all that he is and has. The unsearchable riches of Christ are what we preach. The content of our preaching, is the gospel. As this is the display of God's wisdom, is when the church, won by the gospel into the family, proclaims the gospel to others to bring them into the family. And what they proclaim is these unsearchable riches. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, are the unsearchable riches These are the unsearchable riches of Christ that we preach. And to me, what that means is um, we take up the gospel wherever we find people, right? The fancy word is contextualizing. But contextualizing just means it's the same gospel, but you pick up at different starting points. So if, if if I'm speaking the gospel to a Muslim or a Mormon, I don't have to convince him that there's a God. He already believes that there's a God. What, what I need to do is to give the unsearchable riches of Christ to this person and tell them that this one is God. Jesus is God. This is the, the unsearchable riches of, of, of Christ in the gospel. It, it, it's just very freeing that we can we can we can take it up at any point and give it to our friends, our neighbors, our our classmates, our our co-workers, our neighbors. This gospel, though, is not just for non-Christians. This gospel is for believers. It's for you. Did you ever think that once you became a Christian, you moved beyond the gospel into the the deeper things of God? These are the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ. This is his wisdom on display, is the gospel. And the deeper you go in the gospel, the more you learn and the the deeper you get into the knowledge of God. The gospel is for you. It's what creates the church and sustains it. In verse 9 of chapter 3, it tells us in to bring to light for everyone. It, it tells us what, what it's going to do, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This gospel must be preached to everyone because it unveils the mystery of God in the gospel. And the church, Paul talks about this in Timothy, the church is the pillar and the ground of, tr- of truth of this gospel. You're supposed to be defending it as the church. We're the pillar. We hold it high we're the ground of truth. We keep it steady. It's the pillar and ground of truth for, for the gospel to go forward. So God has and told us how he will do this. It's through revelation, especially to Paul, and then, and then by him writing it down to us, and then it's through the preaching of that revelation. How, how we, the only way we can fail is if we don't preach. The only way we're not displaying God's wisdom is when we don't preach. So... Just full disclosure, if I'm the pastor here, I, I think almost everything else can go, I can let everything else go but the preaching of God's word and the prayer, because that's what creates and sustains the church. I'm not, I'm not saying I, I'm going to have to do that. I'm just saying that this is going to be the priority. This is, this is what God has told us. He's, he, he has created the church, displays manifold wisdom, and he does that through revelation and through preaching. So this leads us the from the how question to the where question. Where that was the longest section, okay? We can all take a deep breath and I probably should have thrown an illustration in there somewhere, but uh we're moving on, okay? So the the next question, where? Where will God display his manifold wisdom? Where is he going to do that? And verse 10 tells us, doesn't it? So that or in order that this this is, the, this, is, this is purpose kind of language. In order that through the church, the manifold or the many-splendored wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God is going to do this in the church, in, in people who covenant together to sit under the word to take the ordinances, and then to go out with the word. One quote that explains what the church is from Henry Barrow in 1589, he says this, this church as it is, as it is universally understood, contains in it all the elect of God that have been, are, or shall be. Okay, that's the universal church. So, those other churches Davy prayed for, those saints in that church are here. The, the saints in, in Gresham Bible Church, we're, we're all in this together, right? Throughout the world. But being considered more particularly as it is seen in this present world, especially through local churches, it consists of a company and fellowship of faithful and holy people. Gathered together in the name of Christ Jesus, their only King, Priest, and Prophet, worshiping Him aright, being peaceably and quietly governed by His officers and laws, keeping the unity of the faith and the bond of peace and love unfeigned. This is a true description of the visible Church. It says, "So, God's people, you, friend, are a display of God's wisdom, right now, as you're worshiping Jesus." with your brothers and sisters. So the church is where it happens. The church is where it happens. It happens through people who've been snatched out of the miry pit and placed on the solid rock and snatched out of this world. It's the people who were dead and God made alive. It's the people who were enemies and God made family those kinds of people who gather together and commit to one another in the church. The next question, the church is where it happens, but when will it happen? When will this happen? Verse 10, again, tells us, the text says that it's happening now, that the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. God is is making all of this known presently. I tipped my hand before, but it's, it's happening as we sit here, under the word. I said, can you I, I don't think we think about it enough. This, it's, it seems ordinary, doesn't it? You're just sitting in red, maroon, whatever. Chairs. <laughs> You're listening to some guy monologue for, hopefully 40 minutes. You're singing songs, and you're praying, and you're, uh, you're probably all, all of you, some of you are doing it with a heavy heart, some of you are doing it with a light heart, some of you are, 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 just, are just here because you have no, you know, nowhere else to be, but you are displaying God's wisdom if you're believing the gospel, and if you're involved in the one another's of the church. It's happening now, and it doesn't just happen when someone becomes a Christian, it happens when we gather and we sit and we take the ordinances as as we're unified uh, throughout the week, living out Jesus' love in one another's lives. The church, to steal someone else's phrase, is the gospel made visible. You're the gospel made visible This is what he's putting on display. It's the gospel. His wisdom is seen in the gospel most clearly. And that gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came into this world. He he lived the life you could not live. He he gave himself for you. He died to take the full wrath of God for you in your place so, so that You, when you believe and repent of your sins, will be fully made an heir of all the things that Jesus owns. This is good news. Friends, sitting next to you are co-heirs with everything Jesus has. Sitting next to you is not just a broken person, but a person that's being made new. And you are too. Only he could do this. Only God could do this through Jesus Christ, the perfect one. The gospel is the only believable plausibility structure. It's the only one. The last question. It's a question of application. How? Again, how should this reality work out in the life of the church? How should the display of God's wisdom be seen in our lives together? Well, well, Paul works this out in the rest of the book, right? In the rest of the book, Paul tells us, how does this happen, right? The ground of it all is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it happens. How do we live out the gospel in Jesus Christ? Well, we do that together in chapters four through six. Six give us some some striking things that that just stick out to us. What should we commit ourselves to as a church? What should we be committed to? I already told you the proclamation of the gospel through the preached word. we have to be committed to that because it's our only hope it's what creates us and sustains us it's our only hope it's the uh it's like the it's, it's like the family meal right and Maybe lots of us don't do that, but I, I think there's a resurgence of it coming back. Like, dinner time is precious. For me, it's chaotic, because I'm just like, G- you got to sit here and eat your green beans, and you, yeah, you can go to the bathroom, and yes, I'll get you a drink of water, but it is building something. The family meal is supposed to be a staple, like the preached word. It, it's where the family grows. It's where it gathers together. It's, it's sort of what sustains us as a family. We get to know each other that's kind of what the preached word is doing for us. It's, it's the one thing we have to continue to do. We also have to, we have to pray. This is something that we must commit ourselves to, and, and not just pastors praying up here, but praying together, not just individually, but corporately. How do we do that? And Paul says, at, you know, this, all of this leads to that eternal purpose was realized in Jesus Christ. In whom we have boldness and access. You have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. And He's telling you just to pray. Even as he suffers in chains in prison, he, he's telling you, I'm, this is for your glory, so you will know that you have access to him. And I, I think, Dave, you said you read this recently for a benediction, but this prayer in 14 and in following in chapter 3, Paul just tells us he's, he's exemplifying what prayer is. And he's saying, pray prayers like this. You don't have to copy this, but you can. Paul has some of the most beautiful and theologically rich Christocentric prayers in all of Scripture. And I encourage you to get into the epistles and notice when he prays and just personalize those prayers for yourself. If if you're feeling up to it, you should read D.A. Carson's book, Praying with Paul. It, It goes through all of Paul's prayers and it teaches you how to pray. Paul tells us, How to do this? One of I was telling the people at lunch yesterday. One of the most formative times in my life was at Emmanuel Bible Church in Greenville, South Carolina, where every Sunday morning we had a corporate prayer time, and we just worked through the Acts method of prayer: adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And we did it corporately, so it was more like popcorn prayer, and people would just get up and they would just they would just adore God for who he is apart from anything he's done for us he would just we would just adore him from the scriptures and uh, and 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 from our own understanding of him and then and then we'd have a song and and then we'd we'd come back with confession and these were uh uh, biblically you know um, appropriate prayers prayed in front of the uh, a mixed audience of uh, confessing real sins and placing all of our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ that he's forgiven us for these things and then we'd move on to Thanksgiving and, and, and people would take the mic and they would say the things that God is doing in their life and what he's done and how he's answered prayer. And, and, and as we were doing that, God was just knitting our hearts together. I mean, honestly, it was like 30% of the people, but those 30% of the people w- loved one another. It's where we first got to tell our our church about our our desire to adopt, and they prayed with us through that, and they 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 funded our adoption, they 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 helped us work through. We waited for over a year, and at, at one point, I just I told them all that, like I just I feel like I'm I'm about to lose my faith, and and they prayed with me, and and, and they held me accountable. And then, you know, as we move on from Thanksgiving to supplication, uh, it bonds our hearts together. We, we can pray corporately more like that. It can be in small groups. It can, it can be in larger groups. And, and, and Paul, God wants us to be praying as a way to display his wisdom. The, the next one is bearing with no, one another. In, in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. For what reason? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, there is a Spirit-given unity it 's not it we didn't do anything with this unity. the Spirit gave this church unity, and he 's telling us to bear with one another so that we 're eager to maintain that unity That means we have to we have to put up with one another that means you have to put up with me and I have to put up with you and, and we have to be willing uh, to do this in the bond of peace that that means that means uh, defending people's reputations. Hey, did you talk to that person about that before you're telling me? I think you should go talk to them. It means believing the best about people, ascribing the best motives to people. You know what? It's not because he hates me, but it's because he loves me. It's not because she, you know, she thinks she's better than me. It's because she loves me, and I'm going to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Ne- next is just promoting one another's gifts. God gave certain gifts to the body, for it's building up into his head Christ. Pastors and shepherds and apostles and evangelists, and and we are to be promoting one another's gifts so that we may be equipped to do the work of the ministry. That's works of service, building up the body of Christ. And then last, we speak the truth in love because we're members of one another. We're willing to say hard things to one another because we love we're willing to speak truthful things. We're also willing to say evidences of grace that are going on in your life. Maybe that's your struggle. I'm just, I have a hard time seeing evidences of grace in people's life. Well, ask the Spirit to help you identify those and then speak them to people. Maybe you're just a coward and you're not willing to tell someone a hard truth about the sin that's destroying them. God's just saying, speak the truth, And do it in love. Remember who you are. You're one another, saved in Christ. So you, the branch, are the display of God's manifold, many-splendored wisdom to the world and to the angels who are watching right now. It is the gospel of Jesus that made you the display. And it is the gospel of Jesus that will keep you as this display. So love God because you have been loved like this love God's people because they are a display of his grace and wisdom let's pray